I tell you, um, RT was bragging on the, the 21 days of prayer and fasting. He was saying most churches wouldn't do that. And um, he just had all kinds of great things to say about you. And I, I told him he was right on all counts. And uh, reminded me, I, I had a prayer retreat Monday and Tuesday and, and um, half day today. And I ended up at my favorite cafeteria on Monday. And I, as a matter of accountability, I sent a text to Justin said, I just want you to know I've been fasting something every day. And I said, I just want you to know for this meal, I'm fasting, fasting. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'll, I'll make it up. Uh, I'll make it up some other meal. But you know, I said all that to say it's great to be able to have that kind of flexibility and uh, that kind of uh, comradeship, for lack of a better term, when we, uh, when we undertake these spiritual things. So, uh, so praise God for that. Father, finally, finally, the baby comes. Thank you um, for being a God who always keeps his promises. But Lord, tonight, I, th I think we all know that. I don't think anybody here would disagree with that. In a moment of weakness, we might have a crass statement or we, we may find ourselves weak in faith at times, but you always bring us out. But I ask you to help us tonight to understand three things about what it means to arrive at the finally moment. Um, help us to understand oh, what's going on and help me to be as concise as I can be with what needs to be said tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Promises from God are more often than we realize couched in the dynamic that is introduced to us by Joseph. Um, in chapter uh, 37, I think it is, of Genesis, um, he has his dreams about his father and his brothers bowing down to him. Um, he didn't understand what that meant. Most, and can I tell you this too? Don't be afraid to not understand a dream. Uh, in fact, the scripture points out that um, when we have dreams from God, part of the joy of having a dream is searching out what it means. But don't panic if you don't know what a dream means right away, because because you will when you need to know it. You will. But I will say this, I'm, I am often surprised, it, it's not the majority of the time, but I'm surprised how often I don't understand a dream until the dream is fulfilled. Now that's not uncommon, the scripture speaking of the disciples uh, said such and such happened, then they understood what Jesus had spoken to them. <laughs> 37 uh, of Genesis, I believe it is, Joseph begins to dream Many years go by, uh, when he was dreaming, uh, scholars have said he was probably uh, 15 to 17 years of age. Uh, chapter 42, when the dream comes back to Joseph, um, he was probably about 30. So that's a pretty good little wait. It's a pretty good, pretty good little wait, 13, 14 years. 
And when his brothers come to him and bow down, this is what the scripture says. Then he remembered the dreams of long ago. Um, I think that that verse means more than just that it came back to his recollection. I would, I would be willing to, to bet some of Justin's money that during the years when he was in prison, that he probably thought about that dream. And he thought about, oh man, if I'd never told anybody, um, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be in this mess. I used to say, oh boy, this is, we ought to be smart enough to know not to tell our dreams. And I, boy, I've heard so many preachers preach that, you know, don't tell your dreams, everybody. But if he hadn't done it, they wouldn't have ended up being fulfilled. It, it's kind of a catch 22. And uh, we, we don't, we just don't know. It's best to just hold on for the ride. Uh, it's, it's, um, uh, like what my uncle told me when he was teaching me to ride horses, he said, now he said, sometimes the horses will just run. And unless you're an experienced cowboy, you're going to find out that you're not in control. And I, I said, okay. I said, so what do I do then? He said, squeeze them as tight as you can with your legs, hold on as tight as you can with your hands and pray that he will stop before you do. And uh, I, I thought, well, Life is like that. Spiritual life is like that too. And um, it, it reminded me of an, an experience of my mom. Now, I, there, I'm, I'm not chasing a rabbit trail. This is, this is part of the message and it's going to take us to these three points I want to talk about. My mom knew nothing about dreams and visions. Now, she knew that there were people who dreamed. Um, um, I, I've, I've often wondered when Paul spoke to Timothy, he said, I see the faith that is in your mother and in her mother as well. I personally think there is a kind of a spiritual DNA that is passed on as well as a physical DNA. And her mother, I'm talking about my mother, her mother, my grandmother was a real dreamer. And uh, long before she was uh, fully committed to the Lord, she had dreams. And so it was a common thing. My mom knew about them knew people that had dreams, but she had never had a dream, much less a vision. She was a fairly new convert, just, just a couple of years into the faith and, uh, had just, had just, uh, married my dad. She was, uh, uh, she was older. She was, she was 15. Um, that's a joke. Um, you just married my dad had just turned 15 the month before married my dad. They had, they were newlyweds and, um, she went to church and was under such a burden for her dad. My grandfather was, um, was, uh, was a hobo during the depression years, left his family, rode the rails, uh, all over the country. And let me tell you something. It's not as glamorous as the movies make it, it was not as carefree by any stretch of the imagination. And um, he had been gone for the better part of the 30s. Um, my mom would not see him um, from the late 30s until the late 50s. Um, and then he would end up coming to our house uh, in, in, the, in the late 60s, 1967. Um, his body broken. Um, when he came to us, I started thinking the other day, 
He was, he was an old man. He could hardly walk. We had to help him with everything. And it hit me that day that he was my age. But I would have, if you looked at him, you'd think he was 80, 85 years old and a bad 80 or 85 years old. But he was only 64. Now, I said all that to say this. When my mom was praying for her dad, she wanted him to be saved. Um, she went home and fell asleep praying for him. She woke up from a vision, a dream that turned into a vision as she was waking up. My dad was terrified. He didn't know what was going on. Uh, he ended up uh, running to get the pastor and asked the pastor to come. He thought, he, his words were, I think Eunice needs a devil cast out of her. He said, I don't know what's happening. Well, my mom had had a vision of her dad and it was so real. She was looking under the bed, calling her dad, going through the house, looking for him. She went out and got under the house. It was built up on blocks, thinking that he was there somewhere. And um, when the pastor got there, this was late Sunday night, um, she told him what she saw. And uh, she said, I, I saw an airplane, but it was unlike any airplane I've ever seen. Now, the fact of the matter is she had never seen an airplane uh, except pictures of it. Uh, she had seen crop dusters occasionally, but never anything up close and never what you would call an airliner. She saw that. She, she said it was like it was on a ball field with the markings and the numbers, but I didn't understand them. And there was a man that was in the service but I didn't, I'd never seen his uniform before. I could tell by the way he spoke, he was American, but I don't think it was an American army uniform. I've never seen anything like it. And in this vision, my grandfather who called her sister, uh, he, she was uh, seeing all of this weeping. And my grandfather who wore an old fedora like something out of the forties, well, I guess at that time it was out of the thirties and forties. He took it off and uh, as he would do when he started to say something serious, when he was about to give me a lecture about something, he'd take his hat off, put it over his heart. I think it was his way of saying, this is the truth. And he said, oh, sister, don't worry about me. You know that I'll get saved before I die, even if it's the last minute. And she, she came to a state of being awake and thought he was there and was talking to her. Well, the pastor explained uh, to her what it meant to have uh, a vision. And the pastor's wife said, Eunice, you've just, you've just had a, a word from the Lord and God is telling you that uh, this horrible burden you've been under for your dad, he's going to save him before it's too late. And um, they helped her understand, but it was a new world for her. And that was 1938. Uh, they lived through World War II and never saw him or he never came back to the Lord. Um, he showed up in the late 50s. Um, <laughs> oh, I got stories I could tell you, but we'll have to save those for Saturday afternoon matinee. Um, he came to our house and uh, my, my, she said, he's going to get saved now. And Instead of getting saved, it ended up my dad had to wade through a, 
bar full of drunks and pull him out. And in such shame, he left the next morning. And uh, I was a toddler at the time and, and didn't see him again for another 10 years. Um, my mother reminded the Lord for 30 years of this promise that he had made. And um, she finally just gave up on the promise. She said, I must have misunderstood something. And we sound noble, you know. I, I know I pray this way. Lord, I know you can't lie, but I must have misheard. I know you can't lie, so I must have misunderstood. And that was sincere in my heart. So I know it was sincere in my mom's heart. And um, to make a very, very long story short, um, he went back to California where he had lived all of this time that he was gone to take care of some business. And he was coming back. And um, he, was, he was a hard, hard case spiritually. Um, I, I would watch him more than once. I'd watch him listen to the radio at noon. The, it was called the Pleasing Gospel Hour. And it was people by the scores through the years got saved just listening to the pleasing gospel hour. And uh, there would be such a heavy conviction in the house. Uh, he would start weeping and then he would turn the radio off and curse that, curse it and turn and, and uh, re just reject the Lord. Very tough case. My mom ended up having to go to California because my grandfather's friend called and said he, he's in the hospital. He has um, uh, some sort of toxicity in his system and he was allergic to penicillin and all. He couldn't take anything. And uh, he said, the doctor says it's going to be touch and go. So my mom went to, to, uh, to California to be with him. She was there for a few days and... Uh, that night when she left him, my grandfather said, uh, Sister, he said, that window, he said, death came through the window last night to get me. But he left, told me I had another day. And uh, so when he comes, I'm ready. And she said, are you really ready, Daddy? And he looked at her and said, yes, I'm ready. She said, I went back to the hotel, but I didn't believe it. He said, she said, when people get saved, they're supposed to answer an altar call and they're supposed to cry and they're supposed to maybe speak King James and some other things. But she said, all he told me is I'm ready. And uh, she got back to the hotel, got ready for bed. She got a call from the nurse. Miss Chitty, your father is about to pass. You need to come. She rushed back to the hospital and was, was robing up, putting the mask on because for his protection, nobody could go in without the mask and stuff and, and gown. And she said, I saw him look over at the window and then take his last breath and he was gone. She said uh, it would be like a day and a half before she could get home. It's not like it is now where you get online, make reservations. It was an ordeal to, to get a plane ticket. And it took, her, it took her almost two days to get a flight back home. As she came back, um, she said, I did not believe my daddy got saved. She said, I had a 38-year 
battle for my daddy's soul where God kept telling me to hold on. And she said, nothing happened. And I said to her, I said, well, mother, you said that he said he was ready. And she said, yeah, but I don't know if he was really ready. You know, this is on the phone. And uh, she said, the darkest moment of my life, she said, it wasn't just losing my daddy. She said, in fact, he'd never been a daddy to me anyway. Not since I was a preschooler. She said there was a mix of emotions. She said that wasn't the hardest thing. She said even being alone wasn't the hardest thing. She said that was devastating that I was lost my dad and I'm on the other side of the country alone and nobody can get to me. And uh, she said, but the worst thing is that God didn't keep his promise. 32 years of telling me to hold on and then he didn't keep his promise. She said, I went to the airport and Fresno and was getting on the plane or walking to the gate to get on the plane. She said, it was the lowest moment of my life. She said, until I looked up. And she said, I saw what I had seen in my vision 38 years earlier. This large plane being out on the football field was a runway with markings on it. The military man that I didn't recognize his uniform was a agent of Eastern Airlines. Back in those days, they, just about everybody had a uniform for any job. And she said it was him. She said, I realized I was looking at a young man that I'd seen before, but wasn't even alive when I saw him the first time. She said, I realized things that I'd forgotten from my dream. People standing around, a voice coming through the intercom. All of that, she said, I suddenly realized I saw this in 1938. And she said, it was as though I saw my father. She said, and I heard him say, sister, I told you I'd get saved before I died. And she said, there was a peace that passed all understanding. She said, I just knew that my dad was saved. She said, I could live to be a hundred and I could never explain the peace and the confidence and the assurance that I knew with all of my doubting, with all of my struggles. <laughs> she said, I knew that my daddy was in heaven. I was certain of it. And, and she never doubted it till the day she lived. None of us did uh, doubt it. I mean, after she told us that. And she later told us, she didn't tell us right away, but she later told us, she said the Lord gave her a gentle, she said it was almost like, a, like you would pick at somebody. He said, you, you know I always keep my promise. And she said that the Lord also spoke to her and said, you know that I'll never leave you alone. I'm with you and I'm going to give you some good company to get you home. She said, right then, an American sailor, she said, I'd guessed him to be 18, 19 years old, um, walked up to me and said, Miss Chitty, you going to Pensacola? And she said, yes. And he said, well, I'm going to be seated with you, and I, I look forward to talking with you. She said, that young sailor got on the plane, talked with me. We had a layover in Denver. He got off the plane and he said, well, let's go. He said, I know you want to get something for Randall and Royce and Steve. And 
uh, it wasn't until later she realized I, he called me Miss Chitty. I thought maybe he heard at the counter, but to name my three boys, I, I, I had not told him the names of my three children. He said, this shop over here will have just what you want. And he took her over there and she bought three little gifts for us, got back on the plane. And as they flew from Denver, it seemed like there was another stop in Pensacola. He said he sat with me and talked with me the whole way. She said, when there were moments I just feel overwhelmed, he knew just what to say. He took my hand and patted it. And he said, now, now Miss Chitty, you've, I want you to remember that you are greatly loved by your family, by your church, and by the Lord. You've been through a long battle, and God has showed himself strong. And he gave her some other advice that even though my mom's in heaven, she might not want me to, to share uh, because it was, it, 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 if I said it, it would sound like it was self-glorifying of her. And uh, he talked to her, and he said, well, now we're just about home. She said, I never gave it a thought because of Pensacola Naval Air Station. I'm sure there are young sailors coming and going all the time. She said, uh, uh, I, I want you to meet my husband and my boys. They'll be at the airport. And uh, he said something like, well, one of them will be at the airport. And uh, it was like, uh, and as it was, I was with my dad. One of her boys was at the airport. The other two were taking care of other things. The plane landed, and um, she, uh, she said, well, please come meet my family. He said, you go ahead. I'll be, I'll be along. She went out. She met us. We hugged on her, loved on her. And she said, I want you to meet somebody. Now, you got to remember, this was the day before hijackings. If somebody was flying somewhere, you could go out to the plane with them and sit and talk till time to take off. I mean, there was a lot of coming and going. It's hard for people to imagine um, a, a flight arrangement like that in airports today. Uh, flying was special. I tell you, when I was a kid, you dressed up to fly. You, you really did. Am I telling the truth, David? You, you, it, was a, it was an occasion to wear a suit. You wore a suit three times for sure. Um, to funerals and weddings, to church, and if you're flying somewhere, you know. And um, she said, well, he said he'd be right along. So she says, well, come on, he's still at the plane. And she takes us out to the plane, and she asks the stewardess that had served her the whole time, uh, where is the, the young boy? And then she realized she, he never even gave her a name. And uh the lady said, I, okay, help me now. Who are we talking about? And they went through and explained it. And uh, the lady looked at my dad like maybe she needs a drink or something. Um, she said, he sat with me all the way from Denver. And she said, Miss Chitty, you've sat alone since Denver. Nobody has been in this seat. We knew about your father passing and we, we put you in a row by yourself. She said, nobody has sat with you the whole time. And uh, to make a long story short, my mom came to the conclusion that not only did the Lord save her father, but the Lord, because she felt so alone, must have, must have dressed up a, a, uh, an angel, put him in a sailor's uniform and said, take care of Eunice, you know. 
I don't understand, and I'm not trying to make a doctrine out of that. I'm just saying there's a lot going on when you get to that finally moment. I think the enemy wants us to think that when we come to a finally moment, that it's almost like heaven saying, all right, all right, give it to her. You know, and heaven tries to get by it. But the finally moments are, are celebration moments. When a person receives the promise from the Lord that they've waited for for so long. And if you're like me, when the Lord gives me a promise, I immediately want to track how he's going to do this. And very seldom does it happen that way. Genesis 21, um, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah, uh, uh, to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, uh, said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Whenever Sarah deals with her own unbelief, she keeps talking about how old he is, you know. And uh, Abraham probably talked about how old she was. You got to understand, when they went to the mall after church on Sunday, they not only had their stroller, they had walkers. It, it, it was an amazingly unusual setting. Here's the central truth. When a person begins to walk with God, they will face two lifelong battles in their walk of faith. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to be a person that walks in faith, you're going to be a person that contends for the promises of God, you will have two lifelong battles. Number one, do I understand the meaning of the promises? Those of you with prophetic gifts, these same two things, you've got to contend with them very quickly. The second is, do I understand the timing of their fulfillment? I tell people that have prophetic giftings, hearing from God is the easiest thing. That's the easiest part of the process. God, God's going to talk to you and God's going to show you things. That's not hard. Don't think that makes you spiritual. That's easy. I mean, God can speak to a pagan Abimelech or, a, or a, you know, hearing is the easy thing. The difficult thing is what does this mean? And what is the time element involved? Do I share it at all? And if so, when? That's the mark of a mature prophet is knowing what the, what the word means and when and how to share it, if at all. It's the same thing with receiving promises from the Lord. So there are three concepts I want to give you tonight. And uh, I, I want to, I'll, I'll try to be very concise, but I felt like the story was necessary. I wanted you to see that finally is a moment of celebration. 
Here's the first thing that I think is important in this story. The scripture uses the phrase, at the very time. At the very time. The Hebrew word that was used indicates at the appointed time. God wasn't saying Abraham and Sarah wore me down. They just contended until I said, all right, all right, all right, here it is. There was an appointed time from the very beginning of the promise. In fact, before the promise was given. At the time the promise was fulfilled, at the finally moment, it wasn't that they had prevailed in faith like we're often taught to do. Then, then what did it mean, Pastor? It was at the time God appointed before time began. It's, it's similar to the Greek word that's translated uh, in Galatians where it says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those of us who were under the law and that we might receive the adoption of sons. You see, what God said is it wasn't an accident when Jesus was born. It wasn't an accident that the gospel was presented when the Greek empire had provided most of the known world with a common language. And where the Roman Empire had provided a system of roads that were so elaborate that they still exist today. I've, I've walked on Roman roads in several countries. It, it wasn't an accident when the fullness of time, when the appointed time came, Jesus was born. And we need to understand that it, when it is time, God fulfills his word to us. Um, our goal, now here's the hard part, and this is what I want you to understand. Our, boy, I sound like I'm an expert, like I've learned this. I, I struggle with this. But our goal is to learn to wait in anticipation instead of worrying. That's, that's the first thing. When we're waiting for a promise, we wait in anticipation instead of worrying. Wouldn't it be awful if a groom was standing down here? Well, I know I asked her. I know she said yes, but maybe I was pressuring her. This ring is awfully expensive. I've made a deposit on the apartment. <laughs> and all the way down, you know, he's looking at her saying she doesn't, she's crying. What does that mean? Why is she crying? If she wants to do this, why is she crying? And she gets down there and when it comes time for the vows, he says, pretty please, 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 please. Oh, that would be an awful way to live. Now, now I have been a couple of weddings. It was about like that. <laughs> but you know, in a normal setting, you know what's happening? That groom is waiting and he's nervous, and yes, she's crying, but it's the anticipation of the promise being fulfilled. Neither of them are thinking, uh, at least not normally. And when it comes to this idea of God keeping his promises, I understand how difficult it can be to wait. Believe me, I do. 
I know how difficult it can be to know you've heard God, but everything that's happening around you seems to be working against what God said. And then you begin to say, did I really hear him? And, and if, if, you know, I've often said, Lord, I'm, you're not the problem. I'm the problem. Did I really hear you? And if I really heard you and my understanding, guys, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dark cave where the questions bounce off the walls. So what we've got to learn to do, and it's, and it, and it is, you can generally get it done within a, you know, maybe a lifetime. Our goal is to learn to wait in anticipation instead of worrying. Wait in anticipation. The couple that wants a baby learns instead of worrying. There's no sign of a baby coming. They learn to decorate the nursery. They learn to make plans and provisions, if, you know, if God's given them a promise. So number one, remember the power of the phrase at the very time. Usually when I am upset, it's a result of me worrying because God's not doing what he said he would do when I think he ought to do it. Okay, now I'm not rebuking you over that. We all struggle with that. The second thing I want to remind you of is um, a, a, a little phrase that says, Abraham circumcised Isaac as God commanded him. Now, why, you know, at the, all of this celebration, why does the writer take time to talk about this rite of circumcision? Um, and I believe this is what it's, what's at the heart of it. Circumcision teaches us that blessings from God should be spiritually stewarded and reverently received. In other words, um, circumcision was the sign of something that was going on in the hearts of people. Water baptism is that way. Communion is that way. The laying on of hands is that way. It's an outward sign of something that's going on inwardly. And circumcision is the same way. And I know we don't usually talk about that in church. Um, I, 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 will, I will never forget uh, in, in SESL, a young lady asking me in the middle of Old Testament lecture, what is circumcision? And uh, I, I, I thought, well, what would God have me say? And I said, uh, I said ask Darren. And... Uh, <laughs> No, I didn't. That's what I wanted to say. But I, I, I said, I, I didn't want to embarrass her. I just said, well, that's, it's probably not something we have time to go into right now. But tonight in your apartment, y'all put your heads together and, and discuss that and find out what you can. And, and it, it worked fine. It worked fine. But what I'm trying to say, and that's not any in this class. That was years ago. So don't want to embarrass anyone here either. Um, but right in the middle of this, God says, uh, hey, this is great. Baby's crying. Everybody's bringing over pampers and stuff. That's great. But he said, uh, at the eighth day, remember what needs to take place. Circumcision was so important that when Moses was going to Egypt to deliver his people, God stopped him at the end. And he, he stopped him because he had not circumcised his own sons. 
In fact, the Bible puts it this way. God said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you because it's a, it, this is a sermon in itself. It's a, it's a, it's a amazingly wrong thing to try to do a spiritual work without following the spiritual pattern. He said, you can't set these people free unless you've made this commitment of circumcision with your sons. Um, you've got to understand it wasn't a, a social custom. I mean, we have, we have records of circumcision occurring 2000 years before Abraham. I mean, circumcision had been around for a long time, but circumcision was generally part of a, the ritual of a fertility cult. And it was done to a young man when he reached puberty. And the purpose of it was to align him with a God who would make him uh, uh, strong and, and fertile. And, and it, was a, it was a fertility cult. But now doing it when this child is eight days old, it separates it from the idea of being a fertility cult. And it says that at the core of this child's being, I want to tell you something else. The, the fight today over gender identity and things like that is bigger than you think because it is foundational to the identity of that person. That when a child is born, the first thing that is said is not, he's Leo or Pisces or Aquarius or, or he's a Democrat or a Republican. I can tell he's going to be a lefty. No. The first thing that's said is it's a boy or it's a girl. Because even though this is politically incorrect and, and needs to have some strong teaching in the Word of God, foundationally your life begins with your sexual identity and your gender identity. It's not fluid and, it's, and it, there's not some unknown equation in there. Um, there's something sacred about your identity and your sexuality and who you are as a person. Um, basically, circumcision connected the Israelites to spiritual life, to a covenant with God. Now, you say, well, is it still required today? It's not required in the New Testament, but neither is it condemned in the New Testament, except when it's viewed as a requirement for salvation. Uh, in, in the church, circumcision is, if you want to, it's fine. But remember the Jewish background that we have, never tell somebody that circumcision is part of salvation. Okay, and we know that. As with other ceremonial actions, we are encouraged to observe the principle taught by the ritual. Um, as I said, issues of gender and sexuality should be taken seriously. Um, there's a, and and I, I don't want to get into too much detail. And I want to say this. The Hebrew religion is a very earthy religion. They talked about things that we are taught shouldn't be discussed in mixed groups. But that was just, it was just a common way. And it wasn't always discussed in mixed groups, but it was a very common thing. Um, issues of gender and sexuality should be taken seriously. It also had significance to the idea that seed would destroy the works of the evil one. Through the seed of the man and the bearing of the child of the woman, that was the way that uh, the enemy would be destroyed. Adam and Eve were promised by God, when you come together and have children, it's through that avenue that Messiah will come. 
Jewish girls at the time of Jesus always prayed that they could be the mother of Messiah. That was part of their culture. And uh, I, I, I just want to say this, and I'm not going to try to solve the problems here, but we are in a culture that is so dysfunctional sexually and so uninformed as to the true nature of sexuality. We, we, we have let the schools teach sexuality. We've let Hollywood teach sexuality. We've let gutter talk at the community park teach sexuality. And I want to tell you, we, we, have, we have ended up with a society that largely doesn't know who they are or what's right or what's wrong. I think I heard somebody say the word confused. It's a good word. And um, one of the things the church has got to do, but it's got to begin in the family, because I've said this a few weeks ago, uh, the church can't undo in a couple of hours a church can't raise to life in a couple of hours what a family puts to death all week long. So it's got to begin with the family. Um, and I've said just enough to get in trouble, and I'm going to go on to the next point. I will say this. We need to be careful that we don't criticize some Christians that practice infant baptism. Now, now we come, Pentecostal churches, and Baptist churches, you might gather from the name Baptist, we come from a long tradition that says um, we believe that baptism is an act of faith and baptism should occur, water baptism should occur when someone can repent of their sins. And, and I, I agree with that. I, I do. I, I, I think that's true. But I also am very sympathetic and, and, and I understand churches that baptize infants because infant baptism by many Christians is seen as the New Testament equivalent of circumcision. You see, the, the, that little eight-year-old boy, was, he, he didn't have the ability to make conscious decisions to follow God. His family was saying, this is a mark that's on you that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And infant baptism in the churches that practice that tradition, they're doing the same thing. They're saying, we're, we're, we're marking our children the boys and girls, we're marking them water baptism to say you're part of the community of faith. I'm not trying to say we ought to baptize infants, but I'm saying we need to quit fighting with those who do and let's find some things worth fighting over. Okay. Um, so, so what, what, what are, what am I trying to say? Number one, have an awareness of the nature of the time. God has never, he didn't forget and come through just in time. There's an appointed time to everything that God has promised. Secondly, just as Abraham and Sarah um, had to circumcise Isaac, we need to understand that whenever God keeps his promise, that's not a time for us to lessen our devotion to him. It ought to make us more and more determined to steward his blessings and to, and to be diligent about receiving his grace and helping us. Now, here's the third thing. And I think this is so important. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. <laughs> I, it shows you how much God loves joy and what a sense of humor God has when he said he's going to be named Isaac because Isaac means laughter. And, um, he, he said, uh, he said, you that have carried this heavy burden for almost 90 years, Sarah, you're going to laugh. You're going to laugh. 
you're going to, you're going to say, I didn't think at my age, God would let me laugh this way. I didn't think at this age, I don't mean to be crude, but he said, she said, I didn't think that at 90 years old, these breasts would nurse a baby. She said, I didn't think at this age I would give my husband pleasure. And she said in another place, King James interprets it a lot more dignified, but it's like she said, I didn't think he'd care at his age. So it's a big thing of laughter. And she said, everybody will look at us. They'll see us walking through the mall with a walker and a stroller and they'll laugh, but it won't be ridicule. It will be a laugh of celebration. Now, here's what I want to say to you, loved ones. And I think this is so important. Sometimes it is difficult to allow ourselves the luxury of celebration. Guilt for our doubt and past failure that produces shame make us feel unworthy. And I want to tell you one of the last gasping traps of the devil is when God does give you that finally moment. He wants to do everything in his power to keep you from enjoying it. He wants you to think that your faith wasn't strong enough. He wants you to think that your attitude wasn't right. He wants you to think that you didn't believe God enough. And you know what? All of that's probably true. But God says, when I give you the finally moment, this is not an I told you so. God, God doesn't say, Abraham, hold that baby close. Abraham, aren't you ashamed? As many times as I told you, you were going to have this baby. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Here you are holding the baby. Oh, what is that? You want to say thank you? Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. No. That's the role the enemy wants to play get us to perceive God. But it's not, it wasn't like that at all. It was like God came and sat down by Abraham and said, Abraham, hold that baby. Love that baby. And he says, I'm going to tell you something else, Abraham. I know you're old, but I'm going to bless you so that you live long enough to raise this son and see his children too. I want you to know, I want you to enjoy this child. All the years that you didn't have a child, I want you to make up for him now. I want you to spoil him on his birthday. I want you to take him to Disney World when he turns two. I want you to do, I mean, I mean whatever, you know. It, God is saying, I want you to celebrate her. Not Disney World, wherever, but... Um, I, I really think that God keeps his word, but if we're not careful, we'll end up never understanding the beauty of what he's done because of the guilt of our poor performance, the guilt of our poor performance. Um, the feasts of the Lord were designed to teach us how to celebrate God's faithfulness as we look back and as we look ahead. I believe that in the coming weeks and months, some of you are going to have some finally moments. That financial burden will finally be lifted. Salvation of that child will finally happen. The fulfillment of your ministry will finally begin to be seen and produce fruit that you've prayed for for decades. The, the list goes on and on. You're, you, you know, some of the most passion and emotional words in the Old Testament to me 
or, or when Leah just kept having children, trying to get the love of her husband and she had a baby and in desperation, she says, this time he will love me. And finally, with her last child, she said, I'm just going to praise God. I, I want to tell you, some of you are going to, are going to begin to discover a husband who finally loves you. A wife that finally loves you. An employee, maybe, that finally appreciates you. An employer that appreciates you. Well, I guess it could go the other way, too. And when the, final, when the finally moments come, and, and the younger you are, the more finally moments you'll probably have. The older you get, the, the less room you got for finally moments. I mean, you know, things continue as they normally are. But some of you are going to have to contend for a half dozen finally moments. And when it does, when it does, remember that God is in control. He never loses out to the enemy. There is no struggle between God and Satan. God has no equal. When it happens, thank God for it and steward the moment with reverence. And stop letting the devil remind you of every time you blew it. See, some of you are serving a God in your mind. He says, oh, Isaac, Abraham, that's great, Isaac. Yeah, it's a shame you got to worry about Ishmael over there. If you'd done what I said, you wouldn't have this problem to deal with. That's our next lesson. What to do with your, with your Ishmaels. No, never, never in a million years. God says, I'm good and everything I do is good. Now let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Father, <coughs> there are loved ones here. You love them so much. You love them every bit as you love my mom. And I, I, we've celebrated her moment tonight. Lord, you have an appointed time for every one of us and every celebration is designed to cause us to draw closer to you and when it comes Lord we want to celebrate we don't want to celebrate forgetting your faithfulness but we want to celebrate your faithfulness Lord every one of us has faced things that we didn't handle as well as we wished we had every one of us has had a finally moment that was tainted by our own failure. But Lord, set us free from the baggage that the enemy wants to give us. Let us truly embrace the blessing of the Lord. Let it make us stronger. Thank you for the weight Lord, please just forget all those other things I said. Thank you for the weight. Thank you for teaching me the sacredness of those moments. And thank you for keeping me laughing. When the finally moments come and I didn't think I was worthy. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Justin, come and conclude our time in prayer tonight.